Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Timberlake. You picked a great weekend to join us. Uh, before we get into the message, I want to welcome those watching online or at the Duval campus with Pastor Jeff and his team or out there in Bothell Woodenville with Pastor Ronnie. 15 weeks old, our Bothell Woodenville campus, and they're doing an awesome job. We also have an Issaquah campus where I hear their pastor is extremely good looking. Also, a pretty good golfer, uh, and I guess that's me. And so the rumors are true. It's very true. Uh, we're continuing our series, as Pastor Ben said earlier, called The Better Half. Now, if you don't know who that is, she's going to elbow you uh, before the message is over. So just prepare yourself. And uh, we're talking about the ladies tonight. So I'm really excited to be with you. I feel like God has a clear uh, direction for us to go in the message, and I hope uh, you enjoy. So if you came in, you received the program. So why don't you go ahead and grab that program. Inside of there, there's some, there's some notes probably got a pen. If you don't, you can look for one around you and go ahead and get ready. Uh, the notes are going to help you this week, not just remember my message today, but when, I, when you go throughout the week. So um, here's what I want to give you a little glimpse into my family. It's a little bit wild. It's a little bit crazy. Uh, I have grown up on the east side, uh, going on 10 years this June 10th of being married to my lovely wife named Twee. Now, uh, most people get confused when I say her name because it's like Tweed, Tweed. She's, she's half Vietnamese, and so I believe we have a picture of her uh, somewhere. There, uh, it's a little blurry on here, but there you go. Uh, that was an officiating a wedding we did just recently, and it was a lot of fun. I have a son who's three. His name is Riker, and he is a wild man. He is obsessed with garbage trucks. It's true, he has a birthday party tomorrow and he's wearing uh, yellow and green. There's about 500 balloons, yellow and green. And yes, I think he did ask the garbage man to stop by this week. So he's three, he's awesome. He's a really uh, fun time. We have a daughter uh, named Ruby, who was a year and a half. And yes, they're that close together. And she is amazing. Uh, she's my little sweetheart. She has me wrapped around her finger already. Whatever she wants, dad gives her. And all the guys with, have, with daughters, you know what I'm talking about. And then we thought we would challenge our parenting skills. So yes, we have a third child who's, uh, you can laugh, it's okay, you feel bad for me. Uh, seven months, uh, River is his name. We call him Biggie or the big guy because he weighs 21 pounds. Yeah, he is huge. Uh, people always ask me, how old is your... Your, your kid, I'm like, oh, he's seven months. Oh, man, I would have guessed like a year, year and a half. He's eating a grown uh, chicken in his mouth like a, like a man. And so I'm just really excited. Uh, hopefully, you know, 220, six foot four, that's what we're shooting for with him. So uh, I love my family. I love being a part of Timberlake. I've been here a little over a year now. And uh, I know Pastor Ben told you everyone always asks to hear me speak, and that's actually true. And so you get to hear me today, this weekend. And uh, we're actually going right into a great passage. Uh, it's... 
It's one of those passages, I believe, that will speak directly to some of your situations tonight. So if you have a Bible, or if you have a phone with an app on it, or if you didn't bring one, that's okay, it's gonna be on the screen. Uh, And this is a great passage. Uh, Some of you might be familiar with it, some of you may not be, and that's okay. Uh, And it's really uh, an incredible story about a woman and her faith. Uh, Not just her faith, but in the midst of difficult circumstances, we see this incredible uh, picture of her life and what she did in the midst of it. So why don't we go ahead and read uh, our theme scripture for tonight. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and remember me. If you're taking notes, you can underline that in your, in your notes there. Remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, and then I will give him to the Lord to all the days of his life. Remember me. She says, in my deep anguish, she uses the word bitter or weeping bitterly, the scriptures say. That word bitter means actually anguish of the soul. So your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And we see this glimpse into her life, I call it the Hannah story, where she's having this moment of deep despair, her soul in anguish. She's become bitter, and she's crying out to God to intervene. I don't know your story. I don't know what you're currently facing But I believe tonight and today, this weekend, we can discover something that, through Hannah's story, that will impact our story. Uh, It's a little interesting having three kids under three thinking about going on vacation. How many of you made summer vacation plans already? Anybody? Maui, Scottsdale, someplace nice. Yeah, we're just going to stay here at home. And uh, we call it the infamous staycation, okay? When you have three kids under three, the thought of going someplace hot and sunny with a pool that you'll never get to is just misery. And so we're staying here, but I recall a vacation I took a few years ago before we had children. And my wife and I, we love to go to vacation in a place called Las Vegas. I know what you're thinking, pastors, Las Vegas, don't judge me. I like to golf for sport, okay? My wife likes to shop for sport, And so we actually love Las Vegas. We love the desert heat. We love the sunshine. We love the pool. And so about three three years and a month, basically before we had kids, we were on vacation. And uh, we were enjoying our time. We landed, and I said, babe, we got to get to the house. My parents have a house there, so that's usually where we stay. And I said, we got to get to the house. She's like, why are you so rushing everything? I'm like, well, I have a tea time. She's like, what do you mean? I said, "I, I have 36 holes scheduled for today. She's like, well, when's your tea time? In about an hour. She's like, we just landed. I said, I know. I'm trying to maximize our vacation. Two weeks, I'm gonna golf 36 holes probably almost every single day. And she just looked at me. Come on, ladies, you know this look when your husband or significant other says something stupid to you. And they're like, really? And so she said, really? I said, yes, really, golf. What were you thinking? Golf. And so she's like, okay, well, you better eat something, better put on some sunscreen. It was 103, okay, at 9 a.m. So we were in the middle of summer in Vegas, and she said, you better put some sunscreen. I said, hey, listen, woman. (laughs) Now, if you believe that, you you just don't know me. I said, yes, ma'am, whatever you think I should do, I'll take it. And so she gave it to me. I threw it in my bag. Of course, I didn't put it on because I'm a grown man, and I didn't listen. And so we went to the golf course. I played my first 18 holes, had a great time, shot a good score. And so I asked the three guys I got paired up with, hey, do you, what, what do I look like? Do you think I look good, burning? And... That was my second mistake, besides not putting on the sunscreen, because they'd been drinking some beverages at at 10 o'clock in the morning, and so they said, you look great. 
your game's great, you look great, you're good to go. I said, okay. And so I played another 18 holes in about 110 degree weather, went home, I walked in the door, and my wife looked at me and said, she said, what happened to you? I said, what do you mean? She said, what happened to you? I said, I, I had 36 holes of awesome golf. She said, you look like a lobster. I said, well, I don't feel like a lobster. She said, you should go look in the mirror. So I walked in the bathroom, looked in the mirror. I had the same reaction. What did you do to yourself? And so I said, hey, babe, I'm freaking out. We had two weeks left to go. She said, hey, go to the pharmacy, get some aloe vera. I said, I don't even know what that is. So just write it down for me. So she texted me. I said, I went to CVS pharmacy. I walked in. And uh, of course, the only person working was a dude, which you never ask a guy in the pharmacy if they can help you because they just don't know. And I said, hey, my wife said aloe vera. She said it's a lotion. Can you help me find this? He's like, oh, of course. So we walk over to the shelf and there's about a hundred items. And he says, well, which one do you want? I said, I, I don't know. You're the expert. Third mistake. And uh, I probably could have just blind, blindfolded myself and just randomly picked a lotion. He said, we got this new product in and you don't rub it on your skin. You drink it. I said, well, that sounds, that sounds not like what my wife told me to do. Uh, but what does it do? He's like, well, it's aloe vera, but it works from the inside out. I said, well, we all know that the outside skin is a reflection of what's happening on the inside. So if I drank something, this is bound to work. He goes, it helps with your digestion too. I said, great. So I bought it and I was starting to feel the pain. So I got in my car and I thought, man, I'll just take a couple of drinks now in the car. And uh, so I opened the bottle, <laughs> true story. I drank, uh, drank about half the bottle because he said you're supposed to drink the whole thing. And I instantly realized this was a, a, my fourth mistake and I could taste the bitterness. It was the grossest, nastiest drink I've ever actually had. And so uh, I continued to drink it because that's what guys do when you don't know what to do, you just keep drinking. And so uh, I drank it all the way home and right before we got back to the house, I uh, rolled down my window and everything that went in went outside the rental car. Uh, and I'll leave your imagination at that. Uh, here's the reality, folks. Sometimes bitter things make you sick, all right? Especially when you don't listen to your wife and you're expecting a lotion and you drink something and it's bitter and it's gross and it makes you sick from the inside out. And the story tonight about Hannah is about these difficult circumstances and when she faced them, she had two options. She could get bitter or she could actually get better. We're talking about the better half tonight. We're talking about allowing God in the midst of difficult stuff to work in you and through you. My goal, my prayer is that we can learn something from Hannah's story and see her problems and connect our life with them. So here's a couple thoughts about where does bitterness begin in Hannah's story? Bitterness begins with comparison. Bitterness begins with comparison. 1 Samuel 1, 7 says this, this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. So let me give you some context of this. We have Hannah, we have her husband Elkanah, whose parents obviously didn't like him, and then we have the other wife, which is also a problem. So we have two wives, one husband, and they were going to church together. Isn't that awesome? Going to church to worship. Once a year, they would travel, and they would sacrifice, and they would worship together. And here we see one wife, Penina is her name, ridiculing, provoking Hannah, because Hannah couldn't have kids. And we see this. The Bible talks about it. It went on year after year after year. 
With weeping and anguish, Hannah cried out to God, help me have kids. Help me have children. Help me fulfill what you've called me to do, God. And here's the interesting thing. The story tells us in this account in 1 Samuel that not only did Hannah cry out to God, but the prophet, the pastor on duty, we would call him, the priest, thought Hannah was drunk because she was praying, but was so in deep anguish, she wasn't actually saying words. So here's the, think about it. Whenever I read the Bible, I always put myself in the story. You're there, you're being ridiculed, you're being provoked, you're in deep anguish, your soul, your mind, will, and emotions are all over the place. And then you get also on top of that, accused of being drunk in church. And then the husband, they have this conversation in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And he says this, why are, you, why are you weeping? Why are you downtrodden, the scripture says. Why is your heart hurting? Now, ladies, you've got to know, us guys, we don't always have it together. And I think it's funny in this story that the husband was completely oblivious to what was happening in his wife's story. Every year you think, oh man, you know, isn't that how it goes, ladies? All hell's breaking loose with the kids, the house is a mess, and you've been doing your best. And then we get home, as I've done a couple times. Hey, uh, what are we having for dinner tonight? My wife usually looks at me and she says, do you not see all this that I do all day long? And again, I'm oblivious. And in Hannah's story, we see all these things against her. And it starts with comparison. It starts with her going, I feel like something's broken. I feel like something's missing. I feel like there's something that I'm lacking because she was comparing herself to the other wife. So here's what comparison often magnifies in our life. Number one, rivalries. Comparison will always magnify rivalries. We all have them. We all have those people that are the fringe people, but we see every once in a while, and often we kind of go, okay, I'm just going to... And then we start comparing ourselves to what they have or what we don't have, and then we kind of engage this rivalry. Comparison also magnifies our insecurities. We all have them. Often we try to cover them. But when we compare, they kind of get exposed. Comparison also magnifies our anxieties things we worry about. Comparison makes you think there's something wrong with you. There's something missing. Like in Hannah's story, there's something wrong. There's something missing. That's what comparison will cause a moment where you can get bitter. You can isolate yourself and allow despair. And as the scriptures say, your soul to anguish. Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, one of my favorite character studies in the Bible. He said this to the church at Corinth. It's unwise to compare yourself. Now, you got to listen to a guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. That's half the Bible. And he says, hey, church, listen, it's unwise when you compare yourself to other people. All you need to do is listen to what Jesus says about who you are. Don't compare yourself. So here we are, Hannah's bitter, she's full of anguish, she's crying out to God, she's being provoked by the other wife, her husband doesn't understand what's going on, she's being accused of being drunk, sounds like a bad trip, sounds like a bad vacation. So what does better look like? 
If the two choices when difficult circumstances arise is either get bitter or get better, and we understand that bitterness can begin with comparison, what does a better life look like? Well, number one, we have to recognize that our brokenness can lead to something better. We recognize our brokenness can lead to something better. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 20 says this. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Now, often when we see that word recognize or recognition, we think, oh, it's like as if my wife walked across the room and I recognize her. But today I want you to see it in a different perspective. I want you to just think about recognition as more of an award. My friend, he works at Starbucks, and this last year he received the President's Award, which means Howard Schultz actually gave him the award in front of all of the employees. And here's why he got it. Superior performance, outstanding contribution, above and beyond what he was asked to do. So they were recognizing him for the value that he contributed to the corporation. And so when you think of Hannah's story today, we have this point, recognize our brokenness can lead to something better. Here's what I want you to think about. Who God is. What he can do. How powerful he is. That you would have a Hannah moment where you recognize the greatness of our God. The God who formed the world with his words as it's written in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. This same God can take our brokenness, the stuff that doesn't make sense, and make it better. Can I dig a little bit deeper on this? Hannah was going to worship. She was going with her family, and she was broken, being provoked. And she still worshiped. She still cried out to God. And it fascinates me, it blows my mind that in the midst of her greatest pain, she recognized who God was. In the midst of her greatest sorrow, she created a space where she recognized how great her God was. Number two, what does better look like? We realize that when life is out of control, God is still with us and for us. Now, if you've grown up in church like I have, you probably glance over this point. You're like, oh, that's really deep and profound. Thank you, Pastor Brian. God is with us. He's for us. Life is out of control. Yeah, we, we know that. But here's what I want to just dig in a little bit. Most people will go, oh, yeah, God's with us. You know, it's one of his main attributes, right? He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. But oftentimes what I found through conversations with people is that they don't think that God is for them. We all understand that God is everywhere at once. His presence is here. But if you really dig down deep into people's stories, sometimes it doesn't feel like he's for us. When situations go wrong or difficulties come up or circumstances that are out of our control, we feel like God is, might be there, but I don't know if he wants us to, to succeed or be better. God is for us. Romans 8, verse 28, one of my favorite scriptures. It's not in your notes, but I'm going to read it to you. It says this, Now all things work together for our good, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. One version says, And we know, it's this definitive statement, and we know that all things, the bad, or as I say in my family, the good, the bad, and the ugly, 
They're all going to work together for our good. Because that's our God. That when things are out of control, he's with us and he's for us. He wants the best for you, not the worst for you. So despite what you're going through, despite what we're currently facing, whatever that might be, today, there's got to be a realization. And it's not just a mental shift, because oftentimes we're like, okay, I can just get there in my mind. No, it, it starts in the heart. It's a realization. It's a revelation that, okay, God, I'm going through this difficult circumstance. I don't know how it's going to work out. Life feels out of control. And this isn't good. But the scriptures remind us that God will work it together for our good. Number three, we remember God's love is everlasting, but our circumstances aren't. 1 Samuel 2 verse 2 says this, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. We say it this way in our family. You have to let God do for you what you could never do for yourself. In the midst of difficult circumstances, Hannah's story, I can't imagine what she was facing in those moments. Ridiculed, provoked, in deep sorrow, bitter, angry, yet she found a space to recognize who God is, to realize that he's not only with us, but he's for me, and that her circumstances were temporary, but God's love is everlasting. Now, here's the inter interesting thing about Scripture. You hear this a lot. God's love is everlasting. It's unfailing. It's, 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 there's no limits. And, and we can easily glance over that and go, well, that's really nice. It's everlasting. That's great. It's much harder to receive it and walk it out than it is to just read it and go, well, that's nice. And just like Hannah, our encouragement together today is to go, okay, God, my circumstances are overwhelming, but your love is everlasting. It's never failing. It means there's no strings attached. You can't do anything. You can't be good enough to get it. It's unmerited. It's undeserved kindness. It's called grace. And when that grace invades your space, your life, your circumstances, God shows up in a real, tangible way. And what you thought, ah, I'm not going to get through. His love propels you. His grace enables you. His spirit, the same spirit that raises Jesus from the dead, comes alongside of you and brings you comfort and peace. We have to recognize our brokenness can lead to something better. We have to realize that God is with us and he's for us. And then remember that God's love is everlasting and our circumstances aren't. So where do we go from here? This is where I want to camp out for our last few minutes together. We have to practice the pause. Practice the pause. I know some of you are like, what does that mean? I'm going to explain it to you. Practice the pause is simply the art of stopping and creating a space for God to show up in your circumstance. 1 Samuel 2.8 says this, For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. What you wouldn't have known, but I'm going to share, is that my daughter Ruby was born almost 11 weeks early. 
And uh, it was a, a normal day for our family. We were uh, one child at that time. It was awesome. And, uh, and we were at the home show. We were at a friend's birthday party because with one kid, you just sling them around wherever you want to go, and it's awesome. And uh, we got home about 3.30, and I heard a scream come from the bathroom. I walked in, and uh, there was blood everywhere. And my wife said, call 911. And like any level-headed guy, I just freaked out. I said, what, what, what do you mean? She said, call 911. I said, okay. Said, yes, ma'am. So I called 911. The ambulance came. My son is freaking out. I'm freaking out. My wife's looking at me. You two hold it together. <laughs> so the guys come up with the stretcher, and they're putting my wife on it. And my son and I are just standing there. And I think he was crying, and I might have been. And they're like, okay, you can't ride in the ambulance with us. You have to follow us to the hospital. I said, okay. So I strapped in my son. We followed my wife to the Hospital, I called my parents, said, meet us there, pick up our son. And we got to Overlake, and, and I walked in, and they were doing all these tests on Twee. And, and uh, the OB came in who was on call, and she said, we're going to have a baby. I looked, and I said, we, I'm not a medical professional, but it's only 29 weeks. And, and I know we're like a little bit early, about 11 weeks, so I, I think we should just let them cook a little longer. And, uh, and, and she said, it doesn't matter what you want to do. She handed me the scrubs. She's like, the baby is coming. So I, I walked into the OR, and the doctor said, hey, I, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, okay. And she said, I just need you to be prepared, because I must have just looked like I was a hot mess. Uh, you need to be prepared. Here's the worst case scenario. And like any good doctor, you feel worse after talking to them. <laughs> I'm like, it was a long list of bad case scenarios I said, okay. And so she looked at me, and this is what she said. I love our doctor now. Uh, she said, hold it together for your wife in there, will you? And I said, uh, yes, ma'am. <laughs> so on the way, and I tend to be the more emotional one in our family, so on the way, and I just simply prayed uh, what I call a Hannah prayer. I said, God, uh, spare my baby girl, and I'll leave her in your hands. I know she's going to be in the doctor's hands, but I'll leave her in in your hands. So we walked in. I cracked a joke because that's what I do when situations get tense. And my wife started yelling at me. And it was awesome. And everyone relaxed. And uh, the baby was born just a few minutes later. And our baby girl arrived. And she was screaming. The doctors were ecstatic. Because at 29 weeks, the lungs aren't developed. And so the fact that she was crying was amazing. And so we thought, man, this is great. And so they said, we're going to take her to the NICU for a couple hours. You can come see her later. And we said, okay. And, and we went on our way. I went down. I just saw her real quick. And I went back to check on my wife. And a few hours later, they came and got me and said, Mr. Reese, you need to come down. We need you to sign some paperwork. And I said, well, what for? She's like, you just need to come down. And so I went down to the NICU, and they are having me sign paperwork. And, and parents, you got to hear me. It's, it's the kind of paperwork that no parent wants to sign. Like if we transfer her to the University of Washington, which is where she was going, and she dies, you can't sue us. And I remember sitting here signing paperwork while my baby girl was blue, and there was about 15 people in this eight-by-eight eight room, and just things racing through my mind, like, God, I know this can't be your plan. I know this, this wasn't our plan. How are we going to get through this? And I just signed it and then went back upstairs. I had to tell my wife that, babe, they're, they're transferring our baby girl, and, and I'm going to follow, and I have to leave you here. I know you had a C-section, so you can't even leave to go with me. I said, so let's pick a name because I'm tired of having them call her baby girl Reese. And so I said, 
Let's call her Ruby because she's precious to us. She'll be precious to the Lord. So my wife was high at the time on drugs. And so I said, (laughs) it's true. And so I said, you get to pick the middle name. Go for it. And she said it like this, let's call her love. I said, that's the drug talk and that's okay. I said, why? She's like, it's my favorite scripture. And then I knew it was really okay. I'm like, okay, it's based in scripture. It's going to be cool. So faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. So Ruby Love was there. Fast forward. They said, it will be a couple weeks. 65 days later, we're still in the NICU. Four different breathing machines. I think we have a picture of, of, uh, of Ruby when she was born. Yeah. Uh, it was two weeks before we actually got to hold her. We would take this journey much longer than we wanted to. And I remember it about 40 days in. I'm sitting in our empty nursery at our house. And I'm rocking in the chair that we were supposed to be having her in. And, and uh, I remember just kind of losing it. Tears down my face. Thinking, how did we get here? God, I know you're with us, but it doesn't feel like you're for us. I know that you have a plan for our baby, but I don't see the finish line that I'm expecting. And in that moment, I learned how to practice the pause. And I sat there, and Psalm 46.10 came to my mind. Be still and know that I am God. Matthew 28 18 came to my mind, even to the end of the age, or your days, as one translation said, I will be with you. Another one came to mind out of Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, here's what you don't know, but I'll share. Two years earlier, I was sitting in, the, in our nursery. My wife was pregnant about 14 weeks, and we went in for a test, and they said, there's complications They said, you're going to have to come back a week later. And I remember sitting in that nursery praying, God, spare my baby. We went back a a week later like they asked, and we had lost the baby. Now, as I was sitting in our nursery for the second time with our daughter, Ruby, very sick, I remember thinking, why is this so hard? Why is this so challenging? I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to have faith. I'm supposed to trust in the midst of the unknown. But frankly, I was falling apart, just like Hannah. But then in that moment where I paused, I discovered a power that was greater than what I could get within. And it was the presence of God. And I can't describe what happened, but I just had this resolve in my heart that no matter what happened, whether we lose Ruby or not, that God, you are for me and you're with me. Your love is everlasting. And today I recognize who you are. And I'll tell you, it was tough. But I made a decision just like Hannah. God, I want to be better not be bitter. 65 days and about 60, the doctors called us. 
said, hey, we need you to come to the hospital. There's something we need to talk about with Ruby. Now, that's never a good phone call. They said there were ups and downs of the NICU, uh, and that was not the phone call we wanted. So we're like, what's wrong with her? We can't tell you over the phone. Again, not good. So we drove to the hospital, and they said, uh, there's, there's something going on with Ruby. And we said, yeah, we know. You told us that on the phone. Let's spit it out. And they're like, well, we, we've done a couple of x-rays on her because the first ones came back and they just weren't right. And I said, what does that even mean? I'm not a medical doctor. She said, I actually, the doctor, the main one of the NICU said, I've actually watched the x-ray technician take the photo of her lungs because her lungs were diseased. She had what's called a pneumothorax in both of them, big holes, about six tubes in them for the time she was in the hospital, four different breathing machines. And, and, she, and the doctor says, her lungs look normal. I don't know what happened, but I thought the x-ray technician messed up, but her lungs looked like there was never any disease in them. And so our nurse, who's now like family to us, says, I know what happened. I said, go ahead and tell him. <laughs> About 20 people who were rounding. I said, go ahead and tell him. She's like, they have people all over, with a little finger too, she pointed at Ella Lover. She's like, they have people all over the world praying for this baby girl. And God did a miracle. And all the doctors just stood there like, you heard me, she said. God did a miracle. And the doctor, I love it. She goes, well, maybe he did. And for the next week until we checked out, they called her the little miracle baby. Now I'd like to tell you, oh man, she came home and she was awesome. No, she came home and two weeks of a feeding tube turned into nine months. I think we have a picture And those nine months, again, I'm telling you, I practiced the pause. God, you did it for Hannah. Will you do it for me again? Will you show up in a real, tangible way? In the midst of my difficult circumstances, would you help me to become better and not just be bitter? And here we are a year and a half later. My daughter is the joy of our life. A checkup recently said she's completely normal with no signs of any malfunctions and I thank God for that in just a few moments the band's going to come back up and sing a song that they prepared for you but I'd love to pray with you as we close would you join me in a word of prayer